Amen. 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 So join me as we pray. Bow your heads. Heavenly Father, we stand before you this morning, and I have no words to say but say, who are we that you're mindful of us? Father, we stand before you today having rejoiced and celebrated just your greatness this morning. In that greatness, you chose to condescend us. You sent your son to die for us. Father, we thank you that we live in that hope today. Because when we, when we look around us, there's calamity, there's hopelessness. Even in our lives, there are things that we struggle with that, are, that seem, seem burdensome and heavy. We pray for relief, but we also rejoice in hope, that eternal hope that we celebrate this morning. Father, we thank you for your church and all that you're doing here. We thank you for the global church and all that you're doing all around the world. Father, we pray that you continue to help us be faithful. Faithful in bearing that banner and carrying that message of hope. Father, I thank you for just the openness that we've experienced this morning. An active practice of sharing each other's burdens, Father. Father, we pray that it doesn't stop here. We pray that you help us have that authenticity that, that it requires to follow in you, Father. Father, we pray that you help us to openly share and actively bear each other's burdens. Father, it's, an, it's another opportunity to hear from you this morning it's your words that we need. Your words have eternal life in them. Father, as David comes up to expound on those words, Father, we pray that you speak through him. We pray a special anointing for him this morning. We pray that that work that you started in him, we pray that you perfect as he expounds on your word. Father, we pray that that word... It's not something that we hear and just flows through us, but something that stays with us and bears fruit, uh, first by germinating, Father. Father, I thank you for this time of worship. I thank you that um, your spirit has led us this morning and that you've, um, you, you, you're here with us. Father, we pray that you perfect, it, uh, perfect what you've started by, by speaking to us through your word, Lord. In Jesus' name we've prayed. Amen. As I've looked around, I've noticed there's some folks that I have not met yet that I don't know. So I want to say my name is David, David Price, uh, lead pastor here at the gathering. And if you are a guest with us, we are so glad that you are here. Um, family, it has been so good to worship with you so far. And I'm really excited to what God is going to do, to see what God's going to do as a result of our time in the Word together. Uh, as we are looking through the second letter of Paul to the Thessalonians that, that came pretty much on the heels of his first letter, which we looked at in the fall of last year into the spring, actually at, to the edge of summer. Um, 
we have gotten to know a church that was struggling. We've gotten to know a church, people who had questions, but they had faith. They were very young in their faith, and yet they were demonstrating a great deal of maturity in their faith. And so Paul has written these letters because some issues have come up, but also to encourage them in who they are and who God has made them to be. And as I look through this section that you heard read this morning, I couldn't help but think about us as a church. I couldn't help but think about who we are as, as a body, as a people, and, and looking at what Paul wrote and saying, man, I see that in our church. I see us becoming that. I see us growing and striving and loving and, and all of the things that we're going to talk about today. And of course, at the same time, I thought, you know, I see us becoming, but we've got a ways to go in some of this. And I feel like we're moving, and I feel like we're moving forward. I definitely see the work of God in our church. And so I want you to be encouraged this morning as we open this up together and then see what God has for us as far as where we are as a church in light of where Paul was speaking to a particular church. Of course, by the Spirit of God, he was speaking to all of us uh, throughout time uh, who would follow Jesus. And so uh, the section this morning, there's a really long sentence in, in the Greek, and so there, there weren't a lot of punctuation marks. And so what I've tried to do is to take everything that Paul wrote in this, uh, this section and, and to kind of divide it up into some manageable bites. So this morning, I'm going to talk to you about three, three evidences of grace that Paul gives us that are followed um, by three assurances that come because of those those marks of grace in our life, okay? So it's, it's going to be three evidences of the work of God in us, three evidences of God's grace in our life, and then three assurances that Paul points out that are there because of the grace of God working in our lives. It kind of goes with the, the same theme we've kind of been talking about. This morning as I came up earlier, it was, it was really about our identity in Christ, who we are, who we're called to be, and the enemy's work to squelch that. And how we are called as a church to grow stronger and stronger and more reliant on the Spirit of God within us to face an ever-increasing difficult environment around us. How do we do that? How can we do that, stay faithful to the gospel, and also stay faithful to our calling? So is right off the top here, when, when Paul opens the sections, right after the, the, the greeting that we looked at last week, he says, these are the, the, uh, the evidences of God's grace. Starting in verse 3, the first one, we ought to thank God always for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, since your faith is, fur- is flourishing and the love each one of you has is increasing. So let me first address the the word that might throw you off a little bit. When Paul says, we ought to pray for you. That's kind of maybe what we do with each other a lot of times. We will say we're going to pray for each other, and we know we ought to pray for you, but we don't always. You know what I'm talking about? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. If that's been you, we said, I'll pray for you, brother. I'll pray for you, sister. And then we promptly forget. Well, Paul is giving us an encouragement even in that. And this is sort of an aside. This is free, so you don't have to pay for this part. This is where he says, not we should, but we don't. But we are urged to because it is right. We ought to. It is proper that we thank God for you. It is proper that we pray for you. So it is the right thing that we do. 
Sometimes we say we ought to do this, but this is how it is. This is how things ought to be. This is how it is. He says this, is, this ought to be, and because of that, it is. Right? So he says right at the beginning, we pray for you. And that is a foundational thing should be what causes us to encourage each other in these evidences of grace in our life. That you know what? I know you're struggling. I'm going to pray for you. I know that you're dealing with some issues. I'm going to pray for you. I, I ought to go to the Father on your behalf, and so I am. Right? So why don't we agree as a church that we're going to maybe do a bit better job? And I, we, you may be doing a fabulous job, but just as a church, that we're going to put more emphasis in praying for each other, praying with each other, lifting each other up, carrying some of the burdens that we are carrying on each other's shoulders. That's what we're called to as, a believe, as believers. That's what we're called to as a family. We're called to share one another's burdens, to carry one another's burdens. And we don't know that. And we can't do that if we don't know. But we also won't do that if we're not committed. So let's determine together that we're going to share each other's burdens. We're going to walk with each other. And that has a lot to do with what we're talking about. So the first evidence of grace is right there in verse 3. He says, your faith is flourishing. Your faith is flourishing. So their confidence in God is growing. Their certainty that God is working among them is getting stronger. And it's evidenced by faith-filled actions. Like, I can't say your faith is growing unless I see some evidence of your faith, right? I mean, it's like, oh, your faith is growing because you tell me it is. All right, that's awesome. But how I can encourage you in that is that I can see the work of God in you, and that's something that we should be doing for each other as well. When we see God working in someone's life, man, let's say it. Let's call it out. Not to puff them up, not to puff each other up, but because we want to encourage each other in the faith that is growing within us. So when, you, when your faith is flourishing, it's going to mean that you believe in God's provision. It's going, to be, it's, it's going to be because you believe that God is present, that God is working, that God is going to do what he has said he's going to do, that if he has called you to something, what? He's going to equip you for something. Right? If you believe God's calling you to do something, but you don't believe that God is going to provide for you, you're not going to do it then there's not a real faith in God at that point. But as you experience the work of God in your life, as you experience his presence working in your life, then you will understand from the inside out that God will equip you and provide for you what you need to do what he's called you to do. That may be as simple as going to work and doing your work to the glory of God. Or that might mean going to a very difficult place and doing some very difficult things for the glory of God, for the advancement of the gospel. Both are just equally significant. Both are what you're called to. If you don't feel equipped to do that, you're not going to live that out at work. Whenever something happens that causes you to have to either identify yourself as a believer or to call something out or to do the right thing or whatever you're going to cave. But if you believe that God has called you to be a testimony of the gospel of Christ every day and everything you do, then you've got to decide, what do I believe about God? What do I believe about his provision? What do I believe about who he is and what he's doing in my life? 
And if your faith is flourishing, you're going to believe that God is going to do what he says he's going to do. And so with that, you're going to attempt spirit-guided, God-sized things. If, you're, if your faith is flourishing, you're going to attempt uh, God-sized, spirit-led things. So the Thessalonians were clearly doing that. This is what Paul was, was recognizing in that. We know that from 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 7, after he says at the beginning about how he's praying for them and that, that he can see these evidence of the gospel, that they have received the gospel, he says, verse 7, as a result, you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place that your faith in God has gone out. Now, the first thing that we need to recognize there is that their faith in God has gone out. Right? It didn't stay just among them. It wasn't like, oh, we're, we're in the holy huddle and we're going to praise God and worship God, but do nothing more than that. What he, gets, he gives the idea is that it rang out. They were compelled or propelled from being together to showing their faith for something happening. And we don't know specifically what, but we know that they were a living example of the gospel of Christ working in their lives. They didn't just hear it. They did it. They lived it. Church, are we, are we living our faith with spirit-led, gospel-guided, or gospel-focused, God-sized things? The father of modern missions, William Carey, famous little quote. He said, expect great thing, uh, he said, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. Now listen to that again. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. Those are inter- interconnected. You're not going to attempt great things for God unless you already expect great things from God, and as you expect great things from God, you're going to attempt great things for God. Right? So, in other words, your faith ought to be active, and this was very active in William Carey's life. You don't get the title of Father, Father of Modern Missions without it, without living out that confidence that God will do in me what He wants to do in me and through me, and so I can expect that from Him, and so I can attempt things that are great, God-sized things for him, and then there's expectation on that side too, right? So I'm expecting him to do what he's going to do in me as I attempt these things, and as I attempt these things, I'm going to expect him to do great things. I'm, I'm going to expect great results. Let me ask you do, you, do you have that kind of expectation in your life? Have you taken the attitude yet that, that I believe that God is going to do great things from me or through me? Now, that may not be the next Billy Graham or whatever. Great things are not always defined by size, volume, but they are, they are judged according to effectiveness of the Spirit of God working through you. You know, when you share the gospel with somebody else, when you proclaim the love of Jesus to somebody else, that is a great, great thing. That is a God-sized thing because you can't do a thing about it. All you can do is... Share the gospel and trust that God is going to do a great thing in that person's life. So we can all attempt great things from God. The question that we first have to ask, do we expect great things from God? 
And the third part of this one, so if you believe in his provision, you attempt these spirit-guided, God-sized things, and your action in that is not dependent on good circumstances. When the circumstances are right, when the environment is perfect, it's easy to do God-sized things. So let me, so let's say we're in, in here. Let me just try to give a little example. And, and I ask you, say, hey, would somebody, now some of you have a difficult time with this, but still it, it's doable. Say, hey, could somebody give me a testimony of God working in your life? Can you give, I'm going to ask you to just, if you will come down here, don't move. Just, I'm just trying to be clear on my instructions here. I want you to come down here and just give a word of testimony of what God is doing in your life. There's many of you we'd like, I don't like that. I don't really want to, but I will. I can do that. Why? Because this is safe, man. The environment is perfect. You're going to have everybody going, amen, amen. and may even clap for you if, you've, if it's been a, a good enough testimony, right? It's like we will applaud each other. But we're safe. Out there is not safe. It's not. You're, you may get ridiculed. You may get somebody going, you, want, you believe in that fantasy junk. Right? That very possibly could happen. But if, if we're going to attempt great things for God, we can't be determined on the circumstances, on the environment, on how people are going to receive or how we perceive we will be received. Because if God is in it, it very well may be that you give that testimony out there and somebody goes, can you tell me more about that? Because I'm in a place, I've tried it all, and nothing's working. And you, man, there's something about you. That's when we become the church on mission. Where we are taking the gospel around us. Their faith is flourishing. But the second evidence of grace is the love amongst them is growing. Verse 3 again, the second part. Your faith is flourishing and the love each one of you has for one another is increasing. So, is our love amongst us increasing? Is there evidence of that being the case? Do we love each other as a church? I will tell you from my position where I stand, I see that. I see a church body that is working to love each other. Now, that, that's not just saying, I love you, man, right? I mean, that's good. We need to do that. We need to remind each other just by saying, hey, I want you to know I love you. I want you to know that you mean a great deal to me. But you know as well as I do. I don't have to tell you this. I feel like Paul saying to the Thessalonians, I don't need to tell you this. Nobody needs to tell you this. That's kind of what I feel like right now. I don't need to tell you this. But we know we are loved when it is expressed in action. When we are, we are conducting, we are doing acts of love when we're caring about it, when we're carrying each other's burdens, right? when we're walking alongside each other, when we say, hey, I'm with you, and then we're with you. And we know that circumstances don't always allow us to, to be with each other every day, but it means that we are demonstrating that I've got your back. That when you are weak, when your arms, man, you've got your arms up like Moses, and, and when you're weak, I'm going to come and hold them up for you. 
when you're feeling like you're going through this difficult struggle and it's tough and you're wondering, how am I going to make it? I'm going to be there to remind you of the gospel, remind you of the truth of God's love for you, remind you that God's provision is there because the Holy Spirit is within you. I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to walk alongside you. And the tougher things get, the, the stronger the body grows. Because we have to deny ourselves quite often in order to express that kind of love. But it means I'm going to be inconvenienced for you. Are you equipped and ready to be inconvenienced for someone because you love them, because you care about them? That you're willing to drop your agenda in order to make a difference in somebody's life and to be there, to listen, to carry things out in their lives, the love that Jesus has for them? It's an evidence of grace. It is a mark of grace that we love like we have been loved. It's who we are as the church because that's the church that Christ founded. So our faith is flourishing. Our love amongst the body is growing. And then verse 4, we're, we're persevering in all afflictions. We're persevering in all afflictions Paul says, therefore, we ourselves boast about you among God's churches, about your perseverance and faith in all the persecution and affliction that you're enduring. It's been made clear to Paul, some because of what he's seen, much of what, because of what he's heard, that there are afflictions that they're dealing with. Now, I think it was probably pretty intense. I think he had, they had a lot of external pressure things that they were dealing with, things that they were struggling against because of their faith. They had turned away from idols. That's a big deal in that culture because that culture was built on the worship of idols, in particular, the Roman emperor. And so when they say, we are turning away from that, they were turning away from a lot. They were turning away from the culture around them. They were turning away, in many cases, from their own families. But through that, they were persevering. They were not denying their faith in word or in action. And they were staying true to what had been done in them. Look, you're facing difficulties. I don't know if I can call that persecution in your life. Some of you, maybe you are, depending on what you're doing. Maybe you're, you're living your faith out loud and you're really catching it. You may be catching it pretty significantly. But we're all dealing with things that the enemy throws at us to beat us down, to discourage us, to make us want to quit. If you have not, if you're a follower of Jesus and you've not been there, I don't think right now you're being honest. Because that is a very common practice of the enemy. And he wants to destroy the church. And he does it individually by, by trying to defeat us. And so that's going to happen. You're going to feel those times when you want to quit. It's just too hard. It is not. It is not. And I am not making that, oh, just stop. It's easy. No. What I'm saying is he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. So when the enemy says, you're nothing, you're nobody, you're too, you're too bad to follow Jesus because he doesn't love you anyway, that is a lie. And you do need to remember the gospel that the gospel meets you where you are in your rebellion. So if God can love you even while we were yet sinners, 
then as we come to trust him, do you not think that the Spirit of God is going to sustain you? Do you think that he's going to disown you? There is nothing I know from the Word of God or experience that tells me that God will disown his children. It is not who he is, so it is not a lie to be believed. Now, how do you get through that? You were, I said it earlier, you preach the gospel to yourself and remind you of who God is and what he has done for you, and then you, you, you send up an SOS. Hey, I, I, I am struggling with this. I'm struggling in my identity with Christ. I, I've got this going on. I'm not feeling the love of Jesus. Help me. And like this morning, we were praying. I said, hey, church, it's time to move, <laughs> right? It's like, church, look around and move. I'm going to say that's when you send up an SOS. And we say, church, move. Church, go. Gather around. Spend time with. Love on. Pray over. That's where we come up. That's why we're here. So we love each other through the difficulties. We help each other by being the voice of truth in someone's life and being the arms of love that come around them. So temptation is do it yourself. The temptation is to believe I don't want to bother anybody. I can do this. I can pull myself up by my bootstraps, and I got this. Okay, that's, that's the second phase of, of the enemy's plan. He wants to isolate you. He wants to get you off by yourself so that you can say, I can do this. It's Jesus and me. But that's not the plan that God has. It is Jesus in you, and it's Jesus in you through the body. That's what we do. So don't allow yourself to be isolated. Don't buy the, the enemy's uh, lie that you've got this and you can pull yourself up. If you say that you've got this, he's got you. So don't believe the lie, right? Utilize a means of grace in your life, which is the body of Christ in the world. So that's the evidences of grace. Your faith is flourishing. Your love amongst each other is growing and you're persevering in the difficulties. Right? That is evidence that the work of God is in you, that the Spirit of God is working in you. Because as we exercise our, our faith, it grows. As we begin to love each other, even in the difficult times, it's evidence of the work of God in you. And as you're persevering, you're not going to persevere otherwise. Right? Because it gets too, it's too much for us. It really, really is. So, Paul then gives some assurances in light of these marks of grace. He gives some assurances. And there are assurances I want to share with you as well. Three assurances. The first is in verse 5. He says, It is clear evidence of God's righteous judgment that you will be counted worthy of God's kingdom for which you are also suffering. So he says, it is clear evidence. What is the it? Well, the it is what he just said about your perseverance and faith. So your perseverance and your faith is evidence that, you are, that God has made you worthy of the gospel, right? So it means that you are saved. So it is an assurance of salvation. When you have the marks of grace in your life, it is an assurance that God is in your life, that, that you have 
believed and you have been redeemed. And so there is this assurance of salvation that is evidenced because of the presence of these things in your life. And so it's important, isn't it, that when we get down on ourselves, that we surround each other and remind each other of what we have seen of God's work in our lives. Not to give some false sense of salvation or to puff somebody up. But you know, there are a lot of times that maybe in your life, like in mine, where it's like, I don't, I don't feel like I'm making a difference. I don't feel like God is working in me. I don't feel like I'm advancing the kingdom in any way. And so that can start to wear on me, to wear on you. But if we're there to say, you know what, and maybe I've sent out an SOS. And maybe that's when you say, you know what, this is what I'm seeing of God's work in you that is evidence because only God would do this. Because you're not that good, frankly. You're, you're, not that, you're not that sweet. You're not whatever that, that you could point out in me that I'm not, which would be plenty. But you can say, you know what? I'm seeing God work in your life. And this happened, and you may not even know about it. And that is a reminder. That is, that is, you're handing me some ammunition against the enemy to say, no, you don't. No, you don't, Satan. Everything you say about me is true. I'm not worthy. I'm not worth it. I'm not, yeah, all this may be true. But Jesus has given me my identity. Jesus has made me something that I am not in myself. And because of that, the work of God is is working through me. That's why it is so important that we be the church and that we help each other. Because that, those marks of grace, those evidences of grace are reminders that we have been changed. We have been transformed. We are usable by the Spirit of God because he has made us usable in his kingdom. Secondly, there is an assurance of retribution. I got to be honest with you, I struggle with that one. I struggle with using that word because it just doesn't sound right, does it? Like I need, a, I, don't need, I need an assurance that there's going to be retribution for the things that are done against me. I can say justice and that sounds better, doesn't it? I, I, just an assurance that there's going to be justice, that God's going to bring about justice. But Paul's words are pretty strong here. His usage is pretty direct. And so I wanted to stay true to what he said. And I think he did it with great intention because I think this is a bigger deal than we like to admit. I think this this desire for retribution is a bigger concern. And because of that, it can be a weapon of the enemy as well. If you have this concern... And you're struggling with it. It's like, I want to stay true. But at the same time, God, where are you? Why aren't you doing anything? Why aren't you bringing justice into my life? Satan can use that as a weapon. So I think it's important that Paul says, hey, you rest assured. And I know, Thessalonian Christians, I know that the way people are treating you is wearing you down. I know it just keeps piling on and you're just like, Lord, where are you? Where are you? Are you sure? Are you sure that you're going to take care of this? Are you sure you're going to take care of me? And Paul says, rest assured, God will take care of this. And this has implications in how we live. So so he says in the first part of 6, this is right after, let me just start the sentence. I told you this is a long sentence, really. 
Um, it's clear evidence of God's righteous judgment that you will be counted worthy of God's kingdom for which you also are suffering, since it is just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted among us. So he's saying, look, it is right for God to do this, so he will. God will take care of that. And here's based on the question that we often ask is, Lord, I don't see it. I don't see it. I don't see that you are taking care of this. These people continue to come at me. I continue to get berated. I continue to get attacked. I continue to get made fun of because of my faith. I have lost my job because of my faith. I mean, we can go to all sorts of scenarios that can happen because of your faith in Christ. And, and maybe we have this attitude that if I lose that job, God's just got a better job for me. Well, maybe he doesn't. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe part of your sanctification and growing to, to trust in Christ is to endure even if there's not another job around the corner. Because the question is, if there's not another job around the corner, are you going to continue your faith with Christ, your faith in Christ? Do you have to have something better that comes along right after the thing that has gone bad for you to trust in Jesus? Temptation is to do so. So Paul says, he gives an answer. In case you're wondering, God can do anything up until this point, but, but notice what he says. It is just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted along with us This will take place at the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven with his powerful angels when he takes vengeance with flaming fire on those who don't know God and on those who don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will pay the penalty of eternal destruction from the Lord's presence and from his glorious strength on that day when he comes to be glorified by his saints and to be marveled at by all who have believed because our testimony among you was believed. So the day is coming, but it may not be this day, and it may not be tomorrow, and it may not be in your lifetime. Do you believe the truth of the Word of God to be able to say, I am not feeling relief. I feel like God should give me relief, and God may be saying, I am giving you relief. I am giving you relief. But right now, the relief is my presence in your life, my sustaining power. The relief is I am here as your strength. I am here as your comforter, another name for the Holy Spirit. So tomorrow, it may not look better, but I'm, I'm, I'm in tomorrow with you. Next week may not look better for you, but I'm, I'm in next week with you too. And everything that I have given my son, I give you. Everything that is his is yours. And he is the great sustainer. He is the one who gives you what you need to make it through tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. I'm afraid some people have thrown in the towel on their faith because God didn't immediately come through. There's no promise of that. There is just a promise that he will come through. And until that day, when he comes again, he will give you what you need now. And this even speaks to what they're concerned, which we'll look in chapter 2. Is, has Jesus, is, is this a spiritual thing? Is he just, has he already come back? Have we missed something? No, Jesus will come back. Do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus will come back in the flesh? 
to deliver you. That's a, that's a point of faith. So there's an assurance of salvation and there's an assurance of retribution. Let me just share one quick verse with you. Um, it's Romans chapter 12, verses 19 and 20. Because what do you do with this? Paul said to the Roman church, friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for, the, for God's wrath because it is written, vengeance belongs to me, I will repay. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Now, it sounded really good until that, that right there. Now, all of a sudden, it's like, ooh, Paul, wow. But what, what is the implication with that? The implication is this. If you continue to live like Jesus, and you continue to give like Jesus, and you continue to show Jesus, one of two things is going to happen. One, they see the love of Jesus, and they repent, and they come to trust in Jesus. And so you're doing what Jesus said in Matthew 5, love your enemy, right? You're loving your enemy. You're showing love to your enemy. And that may mean that they come to trust in Jesus. Praise God, they've escaped the fiery, the fiery punishment that Paul talks about in 2 Thessalonians. Or they are building a case against themselves as to their rejection of the gospel. But either way, you're still being like Jesus. You're still following Jesus. And that's his point. You still live like Jesus even when nobody else is and even when they're not act, acting like it to you. Tough? Uh-huh. Possible? Yeah, through the Spirit. One last one. You have an assurance of fruitfulness. An assurance of fruitfulness. If these things are evident in your life and you are growing in them, there is an assurance that you will be fruitful. Right, Verse 11, in view of this, we always pray for you that our God will make you worthy of his calling and by his power fulfill your every desire to do good and your work produced by faith so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified by you and you by him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be fruitful. You will produce good works. Now let me, let me give a real quick explanation and I'm done. Good works are not a part of the gospel. Obedience is not a part of the gospel. So it is not believe, repent, and do good works and you will be saved. It is not believe, do good works, and be obedient and you will be saved. That's not it. There's a hard line between number two and number three. So the gospel, and this is, I want you, if you've not trusted in Jesus, I want you to hear this very carefully. The gospel is, while you were a sinner, Christ died for you. Therefore, the response to that is to believe in that Jesus is the Son of God and believe that his sacrifice was made so that he would make you right with God. That comes through believing and then repenting. Repenting of your rebellion. That's it. That's the gospel. What happens after that is... There grows within you a desire to do good works, a desire to be obedient. So obedience is the fruit of the gospel. 
It's not the root of it. So that's why Paul says, look, in view of this, we always pray for you that our God will make you worthy of his calling and by his power fulfill your every desire to do good. So there's a desire within you. And that also can fall under evidences of God working in your life is that you have this desire to be obedient. You have this desire to serve the Lord, to serve other people. You have this within you. And it's a fruit. And the promise is that as you abide in Christ, you will bear fruit. So if you have this desire, which to one degree or another you do if you've trusted in Jesus, and it, and it can be at different levels of growth. So I'm not saying that if you're not just like the first one in line to everything, that Jesus isn't in you. I said it, maybe you're, you're not as far along in exercising your faith and seeing and, and, and understanding and experiencing the joy that comes through serving. And for that, I would just say, step out there. Serve somebody around you. Care for somebody. Be the hands and feet of Jesus for somebody. And there's an assurance that as you step out and as you walk and as you exercise your faith, you will bear fruit. I don't know what all that fruit would look like, but you'll know it when you see it. And others will know it as well when they see it. Church, we are becoming. That's the word I would choose to describe us. We're becoming. And it's the word that I will describe us until my dying day or until Jesus comes back is that we're becoming. But let's be intentional about it. Let's be intentional about growing forward because the Spirit of God is working in us. If you've not trusted in Jesus, everything that I just read about the punishment is on you. You can escape from it, though, today if you trust in Jesus. And if you need help with that, please Talk to somebody. Talk to me. But let's make sure that in our lives, as far as it depends on us, we are going to be a healthy, God-honoring, spirit-following, word-standing body of Christ. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for loving us while we were still sinners for not depending on the circumstances being right in order to die for us. For it not being according to our obedience or our goodness or our worthiness. And that the only right circumstances was the will of the Father. Thank you for being obedient to that. Thank you for shaping us into who you want us to be. And God, I look forward to the days ahead as we see that becoming more and more and more and more. It's for your glory. Amen. I ask you to stand and uh, in response for us to reflect for just a few minutes and to offer our praise to God for his word, for his promises, for his presence, for his faithfulness. There's just the list goes on and on of reasons we have to worship God. But in that same vein, worship is to reflect on what the Spirit of God is saying to us and to respond to that. That is an act of worship. So I want to encourage you to do that now.